Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we talk about strange things that have happened in history. Hi. I am your host for this week, Barnaby King, and that voice you just heard so rudely interrupting me <gasps> is my co-host, Amelia Edwards. Hello. Hello. So we... Uh, people know we live in Norwich. Yes, we've made this very clear. We've made it very clear. We like Norwich. And one of the things that's really nice about Norwich is the amount of pubs that there are here. Oh my goodness, so many pubs. So many pubs. It's got to that point where I now kind of find it normal. Yeah. We had some Londoners come up here and be <laughs> shocked at the number of pubs. <laughs> we are in in, a, in like a five-minute walk radius what it's like five six pubs maybe even seven there is that one that we don't go to oh yeah that's true (laughs) (laughs) so there are a lot of pubs it's it's big business in norwich oh yeah and you like going don't you i love going to a pub yeah so you like going to a pub and going up to the bar and ordering a drink Mm -hmm. well you're not allowed (gasps) woman what handmaid's tale bullshit is this (laughs) it is indeed and the topic i'm going to talk about today is well okay so for the title of this podcast I've put it as women weren't allowed to drink in bars. <gasps> and that is often how this is referred to. It mm. is a legal case. Yay, I the am, law. Yes, I am bringing in some of my legal training. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm almost a year through my conversion course, so I guess I count as a mild authority. <laughs> Excellent, good. Yeah. You're a semi-lawyer. A semi-lawyer, yes. A law. No, wait, that doesn't work. <laughs> a year. A year. <laughs> so you'll often see this case being reported as the case that made it legal for women to drink in bars and pubs. Because we were not allowed to drink at all beforehand. Well, yes, this is the thing. Um, there is some truth to that statement. Okay. And there is some kind of just like misinformation because it's not how the law exactly works in this country because we have a common law system. So we've kind of got two areas where the law is made. You've got statutes right. and acts of parliament, which parliament makes and okay. is kind of the law. And then you have the common law, which is made by judges and case history and precedent. Okay. And that... You could think of it as kind of that evolves the statutes. That works out exactly how they apply to what situations. Okay. And that's the stuff that kind of creates precedent. So you can kind of think of it as anything is kind of permitted as long as there's not a statute preventing it. Mm -hmm. Unless a case in common law has already occurred to provide like a counter to that. Okay. So this case is not so much women weren't allowed to drink in bars and pubs before 1982, Mm -mm. but it's more the case that premises would be allowed, technically, to prohibit women from drinking in bars and pubs. I've made this commentary before, but again, this sounds like airbuds to me. What? Oh, I see. There's no rule that says a dog can't play X-Sport. Yeah, I think it's basketball. I think it's basketball too. Neither Um, of us have ever seen this film, but we know the ruling. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, in a way, it's not far off. I'm giving a very basic interpretation here because obviously there are nuances to it. Mm. But this is kind of the thing. So it's when it says, when you read like 
articles on very clickbaity sites that are like women couldn't drink in bars and pubs before legally before 1982 yeah it's not really the case no i'm pretty sure a lot of women were landladies like owned their own pubs (laughs) went into pubs regularly like i'm sure it was a thing yes but this was a landmark legal case in terms of uh the sex discrimination act which only came into force in 1975 right and it did provide a framework that kind of, I guess, recognised women's place in society a bit more. Okay, so what's the Sex Discrimination Act? The Sex Discrimination Act in 1975 was, well, I mean, it's what it sounds like. It basically prohibited uh, businesses and various different public institutions and that from discriminating against specifically women, but, you know, anyone based on sex. Okay, so... What we're saying is this is a chance for us to test this out. Yes. And say pubs have to let women drink at the bar. Well, this is what this case represents. But I'm going to take you back and I'm going to talk about the origins of it because it all hinges around one specific bar in London on Fleet Street. Ooh. Like Sweeney Todd. Yes. Uh, It actually still exists, this bar. Oh, really? It's known as Elvino's. Ooh, that sounds so trashy. (laughs) It really does, doesn't it? Um, But it's been quite the institution for some time on Fleet Street. Um, It was originally known as Bauer and Company. Okay, that sounds a bit fancier. Well, sort of. I mean, the premises itself wasn't Bauer and Company, but kind of the company that owned it was Bauer and Co. Oh, right. And this is because it was founded by Alfred Bauer. Mm-hmm. in 1879 and it was originally a wine merchant's okay so Bauer was making quite a significant profit by selling imported burgundy claret and sherry Ooh, sherry niles thank you so we're thinking a lot of drunk journalists well on i Fleet think street yes i think at first it's kind of I couldn't get exact information about it. I think it kind of started out a bit more like a wholesaler's. Right. And And then then, they let people drink in the shop. Yes. And they started opening up more establishments. Okay. So Alfred Bauer ended up opening four wine bars, including the one in Fleet Street. Oh, right. Oh, okay. So it opened there afterwards. Yes. In 1923, the name was changed to Elvino. That's really early. I, I was imagining it being a 70s name yeah. and it being like, um, is her name Marsha in Space? Oh, yes, yeah. You know, she just wants a little bit of Elvino <laughs> kind of thing. Well, perhaps, but this was 1923 and it was for a specific reason, Ooh. which is because Alfred Bauer wanted to become an alderman. Okay. I could not find out why this meant that he had to change the name <laughs> Of his company. Okay. I have absolutely no idea why. Uh, for those who don't know, an alderman is basically, it's kind of like a councillor, like a local yeah. councillor. Did he maybe want to be distanced from his wine establishment? It's possible. Extent? Possible. I mean, it's all speculation at this point. I okay. tried hard to find out information <laughs> if there was like specific restrictions, like maybe an alderman couldn't be closely associated with a business that, you know, might he might give preferential treatment for i'm pretty sure that all aldermen are businessmen though well, it's kind what, of like being a mayor exactly this is what i thought okay yeah. i i have no idea Fine. no neither do i okay <laughs> well as you've already mentioned fleet street is famous because 
of journalists. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the big national newspapers, less so now, but particularly at the time, had their headquarters on Fleet Street. Mm. And Elvino's became a popular hangout spot for journalists. Not only that, Elvino itself was opposite from Temple, which is okay. an area of London where many barristers have legal chambers. Ooh, okay. So Elvino's became a regular hangout spot for journalists and solicitors and barristers. Okay. It's kind of, if you are in any of those professions, oh, you're going to be hanging out at Elvino's. That sounds like it would be really good for the journalists. Oh, yes, absolutely. And pretty good for the solicitors and barristers, too. Like, exchanging that sort of gossip, very handy. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, you want to be informed about what's going on. Oh, I see. Okay, so the journalists might have insider information that exactly. they've heard from other people. Exactly. Okay, fancy. Now, you might have a bit of an image of this place already. Kind of a very loud, busy place. Lots of people. I'm lots kind of, of imagining a lot of dark wood. Yeah. <laughs> if only because I have been to bars on Flea Street before. Yeah. It was a lot of dark woods. Well, in that case, you might... You might not think that it's a large establishment because, you know, it sounds like it should be, but it's yeah. not. It's quite a small place, really. A number of London pubs are shockingly small. Yeah. And then everyone wants to go to them because they're on Fleet Street, so it's yeah. really difficult. Exactly. So because it was small, it only had kind of a few tables. Okay. Uh, specifically, we know that at uh, at the time, in sort of in the 1980s, which is where our story takes place, there were two tables to the right of the main doors and right. a number of other tables in a back room, which is also the smoking area. Okay. Most of the clientele would instead create a bit of a throng at the bar. Okay. And they would hang out there. They would order their drinks. They would chat with colleagues. And it was known that there was a lot of, you know, jostling going on. It was kind of a bit of a... Not quite a mosh pit, but, you know, a classy <laughs> mosh pit. All right. I mean, I get it. Like, we go to our local pub, yeah. and obviously we usually go and get a table. But beforehand, when you're sort of queuing up for your beers, you yeah. might chat with other people that you've seen there before. Yeah. You might stroke a bunch of dogs. <laughs> that is a very Norwich thing. That is a very Norwich thing. I'm not <laughs> expecting them to do that in Fleet Street. No, exactly. Uh, especially because Elvino's definitely wants to present itself as, you know, a classy establishment. All right. They had strict dress codes for male patrons uh, for much of its history. Okay. But they also had specific rules about women. Okay. Women were allowed in Elvino's. So okay. Good for you. You're I happy. get. To, I get you, to go to Elvino's. Yes. Yeah, you get Wonderful. to be happy with that, good. and you should be grateful that we give you that much. <laughs> no. So. Um, Women were allowed in Elvino's, but specifically, they were prohibited from going up to the bar and being served drinks there. Right. Now, there are several theories about why this was a rule, because we don't seem to have a definitive answer. There's some idea that, you know, it's kind of meant to be chivalrous. Yeah. So that women are not jostled in the throng and scrum at the bar. Um... But there's also a more practical measure, which is that apparently it is suggested that the rule was introduced during the Second World War because a lot of sex workers would hang out in bars and try and pick up clients at Oh, them. wow. So it was to try and discourage sex workers from, you know, hanging around the bar when men were ordering drinks and right. trying to... Okay. Know. See, I knew that a lot of pubs 
in England did used to have a separate area for women mm. and often that would include their own little bar like right. that's one of the reasons why so many pubs in Norwich have got like a little bar with a little oh, room yeah. and then they've got another bit of bar I didn't know elsewhere. that so I don't know whether that's always the case with those rooms but yeah. sometimes it will be because they felt that sort of women and families would have a separate area to go to rather than the men folks yeah uh, we've got that at one of our locals where we've got a sort of small area where I think women were originally supposed to sit oh. and then there's a sort of bigger area for men to go and smoke in and that kind of thing. Okay, fair enough. So I guess maybe this wasn't so unheard of as a suggestion. Like maybe this is their way of getting around it. I suppose so. But when you've got small premises Mm. and you don't have a second bar, it becomes a bit difficult. Essentially, women would be prohibited from ordering drinks at the bar. They'd have to sit at tables and either have men bring them drinks (laughs) or they could be served at the tables oh god that's got to be such a nightmare yeah exactly like a huge scrum of men at the bar and you're basically waiting for someone to deign to come over and offer you a drink like yeah i'd i'd be really pissed off to be honest yeah i get very frustrated when i get overlooked for service and if there's a bar I'm going to go up to the bar. Yeah. And how much worse would it be if you're in, like, the back room area, the smoking area? Oh, God, Where it's like, no one's going to come check on you. You've got to basically beg a man to go get you a drink. Oh, man. No. That's no good. And especially because Elvino's was such an important place for professional journalists, uh, for professionals such as journalists and lawyers. And, you know, at this point women could be in those roles yeah and they were missing out on that sort of gossip swapping and the kind of camaraderie you build up and the Mm. networking and everything like that so it's not such a small thing because it it can feel like it is a bit of a small thing and in fact that's brought Mm. up later but there are actual implications yeah i mean so i've recently been teaching the handmaid's tale to some a-level students yeah and as part of this i wanted to do some of the context for it and there's not really lots of context lessons out there on the handmaid's tale Mm. and i thought there wouldn't really be that that much to say because you know it's really recent yeah but when i was teaching this i realized that there were so many kind of little freedoms that had just been given Mm. to women since like in the period between about 1960 and 1985 yeah there's things like um and of course this is sort of across western western europe and across america as well but there's things like you can open a bank account without a male companion (laughs) or banks have to let you get a credit card right yeah you know and they can't deny you on the basis of you being a woman again one of these situations where there are definitely banks where you could get a credit card but now all banks have to offer credit cards to women exactly so it's kind of like it seems like a small thing but it has these broader implications when kind of seen as a whole Mm. it's a movement towards women being accepted into society (laughs) proper people (laughs) real human beings yeah as opposed to i don't know some sort of clay figurine Mm. well the equalities opportunities commission and the national council for civil liberties now known as liberty okay both objected to this policy and kind of saw this as an opportunity to try and prevent discrimination in Uh, establishments like bars and pubs. Okay. Or anywhere, really, that's going to serve people. So they enlisted the help of two women. A solicitor called Tess Gill, 
and a journalist, Anna Coote. Now, these two had actually published a book together called Women's Rights, A Practical Guide. Nice. And they encouraged Gil and Coote to basically try and provoke Elvinos mm-hmm. and then bring a lawsuit against them. This is kind of a classic way to get a law changed, yeah. right? Like, you have to do this thing where you provoke something, exactly. you break the law, or you break something on purpose. Well, this is why I was talking about common law at the beginning, because basically... In order for something to be changed in common law, there has to be a case about it. Right. Like, judges cannot simply go around willy-nilly changing the law. It has to be related to a case brought to court. Right. So you have to have people like this going and demanding booze in (laughs) (laughs) in a pub. (laughs) This was not actually the first time, though, that cases had been brought against Elvinos or their sexist policy was challenged. In 1970, a group of women journalists went in and demanded to be served... They were refused and ejected, and the story actually ended up in the newspapers the next day, basically mocking their protest, describing it as a storm in a sherry glass. Ew. I know, right? A bit gross. I hate storm in a teacup things. They're... Yeah. They're usually wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it makes it all worse, just... Yeah. Yeah. You just know that some of the, the men there were the ones who put this story together and it's just oh, like sure. oh, oh what silly women mm-hmm. <laughs> in 1975 on the day the sex discrimination act came into force a photographer called Sheila Gray brought a case against Elvino okay three years later it was decided against her oh man with the judge saying that it was the wrong use of the act to remove chivalry from men for women oh god yeah You so annoyed at that. Well, okay, so as part of my reading of The Handmaid's Tale, I've also thought I should read more of Margaret Atwood's books. So I've just finished reading her first published book, which is called The Edible Woman. Delicious. um, Which is much more sort of realism, and it's realism set in Canada in the 1960s. Yeah. And, oh my God, the amount that she's sort of belittled by little chivalric things that happen and she tries to go along with it because that's how normal women had to act yeah and then she realizes that her whole personality is being kind of shaped and changed by this guy yeah so she makes a cake of herself and is like you are consuming me wow amazing it's really good (laughs) (laughs) well not quite that dramatic yeah more more legal drama than anything else this story well but all i mean is it's Little chivalric actions yeah. take away someone's personhood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And this will be brought up again. Mm. Uh, but all in all, by 1981, when our story proper begins, three separate cases had been brought against Elvino and all of them had failed. Wow. So on February 2nd, 1981, Gill and Coote entered Elvino's along with two male companions. Gill and Coote apparently wanted the men to wear kilts. <laughs> Okay. But the men refused, which... what That's what, a shame. What bad sports they were. Uh, the two men were served at the bar, mm-hmm. but when Gill and Coote tried to order, they were told to sit in the back room. Yep. Gill and Coote said they didn't want to, and when they were told that they weren't allowed to remain at the bar, they left the establishment. Okay. 
later on, they said that they had expected the two male companions to leave with them in solidarity, but the men stayed behind and finished their drinks instead. Oh my god, these guys are rubbish. I know, right? Oh man. Uh, Chivalry is dead. The the good chivalric thing to do in that situation would be to go with the women that you've come to help protest. And wear a kilt. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, absolutely. No one more chivalrous than the Scots. (laughs) Exactly. Well, as a result, the first thing the pair did was to apply for an injunction. Uh, For those who don't know, an injunction is basically like a legal order. It's the courts telling you, you have to do this thing. Uh, The injunction in this case was to force Elvinos to serve women. Okay. The injunction, unfortunately, failed. Right. (laughs) It was refused on the grounds that Gill and Coot were bringing a civil case to uh, to court about Elvinos, and mm-hmm. that was going to be br- like heard in a few months' time. So they're basically like, "There's no point messing around at this point. We can just sort it all out at the civil case." Right. Okay. The law does tend to be pragmatic in those sorts of things. It's like we're not going to do more work. Let's just do it all at once. <laughs> okay. So they're saying we're not going to force you to serve these two women. Well, they the injunction was to serve women in general. Okay. But they're like we're not going to force you now. We're going to wait till yeah. we get to the civil. Okay. Exactly. All right. So I mean, kind of fair enough. I mean, I get their point. Yeah. I guess it's not a life-threatening issue. No, and Elvino's basically said that for some reason they managed to successfully argue that it would cost them money to serve women in the meantime did they think men wouldn't go there anymore or something perhaps it's a bit confusing i I don't entirely follow the logic but clearly the courts did Mm, all right (laughs) yeah so the county court case was held on the 3rd of july 1981 and the judge found that Elvino's policy did not contravene the Sex Discrimination Act. Why? Well, he said that a reasonable person, we'll talk about that in a sec, Mm -hmm. would not have found that women had suffered a detriment. And that the policy affected such a small group of women that it would be, to use a genuine legal term, a mere trifle. Right. And not worth the application of the Sex Discrimination Act. Okay. All right. So giving this judge the benefit of the doubt... Yeah. What he's saying really is it doesn't make any difference whether you get served at the bar or yeah. at a table. Well, yeah, not so, not quite. I mean... Like, it's not making you suffer it's, that yes, you are not exactly. being served at the bar. Exactly. Therefore, it's not that important. Uh, well, they're, they're both kind of in tandem. It's like, yeah. it's not causing you harm. Yeah. So it's not contravening the Sex Discrimination Act. Right. And also the whole matter is so little as to not be important enough to deal with. That argument, in legal terms, it has a Latin name. Ooh. Yeah. The uh, Latin term for it is de minimis non curat lex. In English, the law does not concern itself with small things. Wow. But it really does, though. It does, but (laughs) there are some things that are too small for the law to care about, really. Okay. And they considered that this was one of those things. Uh, I mentioned briefly as well that the reasonable person would not have found that the women had I love the reasonable person. You've told me about the reasonable person before. I have indeed. A reasonable person is a... It's kind of a legal term. Uh, Objectivity, in legal sense, is kind of determined by... What you would imagine certain types of people 
might say. So It's so open to bias. I it, mean, really. Well, it is. And there are arguments for and against it. Mm. There is actually some pretty compelling stuff about why it is useful. I mean, I get why it's useful, because ultimately the law can get really cold and detached from things. And if you say, what would a regular person think, a reasonable person, that's good. In contract law, there's also the officious bystander. (laughs) Okay. uh, Which has actually been important on a number of cases, like... Would an officious bystander say that these two people chatting in a pub intended to create legal relations when they form when they like talked about a contract? Okay. And I love that it's officious. Yeah, it's great. There's so many good terms for them. No. But I'm not gonna go into those now. Okay. Maybe for future, but <laughs> hey ho. <laughs> but let's talk about the reasonable person then. Yeah, well the reasonable person in this case, according to the judge, would not have found that the women had suffered a detriment. Okay. But I suspect he's thinking about a reasonable man. Well, almost certainly. So the judge refused the case and ordered Gill and Coote to pay legal costs amounting to a little under two thousand pounds. Which that's a lot in the 80s. Well, in today's money, it's a little under £7,000. Yeah. But so, yeah, not not. Small it's not of like money. when we're thinking about thousands of pounds in the 1800s. No. But it is still a lot. Yeah. Uh, not only this, Gill and Coote were banned from Elvino's. Oh. Entirely. Great. This, you might think, you know, oh, this is really bad. It's a really bad sign. It's not the end of the world because in this country, we do have... Two other appeal courts. Wonderful. Uh, We actually had a slightly different one in the 80s than we do now. (laughs) Okay. And appeals are very common. I still think the 80s was only 20 years ago. I know, right? I do too. It's dreadful. And I keep being like, it was 43 years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what you can do if your initial case fails or it goes against you, you can take it to the Court of Appeal. Okay. If they go against you, you don't like the decision, you can then take it to the highest court. Since 2009, that has been the UK Supreme Court. Okay. Prior to 2009, we didn't have a Supreme Court. Our highest court of appeal was the House of Lords. A Nice and historical. I love unelected officials. <laughs> yeah. But you have to go through them in order. So yeah. since this has failed at the kind of base level, they were going to appeal it to the Court of Appeals. Okay. An advisor from the Equality Opportunities Commission actually advised against appealing. Really? Yeah, he thought it was unlikely to succeed and thus would just, you know, incur more legal damages. Yeah. Despite this, the commission actually agreed to fund Gill and Coote's appeal. Wonderful. Yeah. You'd hope so, because they told them to do this in the first place. Yeah, pretty much. I think it was kind of agreed between them, Mm. but very much it was like, we will back you if you do this. Yeah. So it would be a bit... It would be annoying to get part way through and be like, well, we're not, we don't think you should go any further. Exactly. Now, there is a problem with the appeals process. It takes some time. Yeah. The case came before the Court of Appeal at the Royal Courts of Justice, which, incidentally, is 300 metres from Elvino. <laughs> Amazing. In November 1982. Okay. So, about a year and a half later... Do you know that's not actually as bad as I thought it could be? No, that is fair. Like, I guess I was imagining five years later, ten years later. Often, my understanding of law 
10 or like legal cases usually mm. comes from things that make it into the newspapers yeah and those are usually five or ten years after whatever the thing is that's happened yeah and some stuff can go back and forth there's a lot of variability um but it does it, it i could absolutely see it being frustrating it would be really annoying if your career and being able to gather that yeah. kind of gossip is kind of based on being able to go to Elvino's yeah. and you've been banned for a year and a half. That's a really long time in journalist years, especially if you're not sort of a really big journalist. Yeah, exactly. Well, when the case came before the Court of Appeal, there were three judges, Lord Justice Edward Everly, nice. Lord Justice Hugh Griffiths, and Lord Justice Roger Ormrod. I just nice. wanted to say that because I love calling people Lord Justice because we still do that. Yeah. And it's just... It sounds beautifully archaic. We are archaic, though. This is the UK. I mean, yes, but I do just love Lord Justice. Like, when I write legal essays, you ha you put in Lord Justice before their name in it, or you shorten it down to LJ. Nice. Which is great. LJ is a good nickname. Yeah. Well, all three of them had to declare an interest in the case oh. because they had all been patrons of Elvino's. <laughs> I see. So, well, they'd just been there, and therefore they have to... Yeah. Okay. Despite this, there were no objections from either side, so the case proceeded. Sure. Elvino's uh, had Eldred Tabachnik, a South African-born lawyer, representing them. Sorry, Eldred Tabachnik. Yeah. That... I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing it. I mean, either way, that is either a Dickens character... <laughs> it really is. ...or an H.P. Lovecraft monster. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> Oh, this poor man. I know. He's probably fine. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, there is... It's not his fault he's the lawyer on this. No, this is true. Cab rank rule and whatnot. Mm. Uh, well, he initially had attempted to have the case dismissed. Okay. Basically saying that it has already been declared de minimis, i.e. too small to deal with. Right. But the three judges basically disagreed. They said, no, we're going to hear this case out. Okay. Decent. So... Tomachnik argued that the policy was not a detriment to women. It right. was actually beneficial to women because they wouldn't be subjected to the pushing and jostling at the bar, Indeed. which he compared to being uh, on a rush hour train. Lord Justice Ormrod, in response, asked if Tabachnik was suggesting that it is a sexual characteristic to enjoy being crushed at the bar. <laughs> I don't know what Tabachnik said in response, but I think that's a great line. That's amazing. <laughs> also, that's such a bullshit argument because yeah. women would still have the option to sit at the tables yes exactly <laughs> like if women want to sit at the tables they can sit at the tables there's nothing stopping them sitting at the tables they just want to also be able to go to the bar okay so i i take it you're not you're not sold on tabachnik's first argument no it's stupid well what about this one it would cause embarrassment if women were to be at the bar <laughs> embarrassment for the staff as well oh because Underneath the bar and on the sort of open, I think, to the other side were wine racks. Okay. So this would mean if women could be served at the bar, they might be standing in front of these wine racks. Staff might have to lean down and reach between the legs of women in order to get wine bottles out. And that is just embarrassing for everyone. Sorry, what's the setup? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> okay, women would stand at the bar. Yeah. At the bar. Yep. And apparently underneath the bar were wine racks. Oh, oh, so, no, 
What? No. <laughs> they wouldn't be reaching between the legs of women then, wouldn't they? They would be bending down in front of women, certainly. Yeah. But I don't think anyone would think anything of that in the 18... Sorry, in the 1980s. I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of weird setup this has where you kind I of was... <laughs> straddle a wine rack while you're ordering. Well, okay, so clearly... First of all, no, absolutely not. That doesn't make any sense. Secondly, I was thinking that it would be that the wine racks were behind the bar on the other side and they'd be worried about bending over and exposing their rears to ladies, perhaps. (laughs) But clearly not. No, they're very intent on saying that it's about reaching between their legs. That just strikes me as creepy. I think this guy's got a weird imagination. (laughs) You know what? I actually have the case downloaded on my Kindle. I'm going to have a quick look and see exactly if I can find this specific bit. Okay. Okay, so unfortunately, I actually cannot find the answer to this. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Because what I have is the law report, which is not like a court transcript. It's basically a summary of the important bits. Right, right. And clearly, the person who made this this, uh, court report did not think this argument worth mentioning. (laughs) I think that's absolutely fair, to be honest. It's a really, really... weird argument that yeah. I think makes this guy out to be a bit of a weirdo to be honest God. Uh, I feel a bit sorry for him but uh, yeah it sounds like he's clutching at straws I think so I think so I think it's kind of like a well we won and I don't see why we have to go through this again because I'm surprised we won in the first place <laughs> Well, once the arguments had been presented, it took the three judges only five minutes to come to a decision. Whoa. Yep. Whoa. They allowed the appeal and overturned the initial decision. Hooray. Now, this was for a number of reasons. And one thing about court reports is that they do provide basically the full argument as laid out by the judges. Mm. It's kind of the more important bit. The bit about the... um, the plaintiffs and the defendants that's kind of a summary of the arguments because mm. apparently Tabachnik's whole thing took about 45 minutes to okay. lay out before the judges so in the court report it's a few pages long mm. in real life it would have been much much longer yeah okay but like I said it took them five minutes to go nah this is all bollocks <laughs> innit and I hope Kate- they said exactly that <laughs> well in legal jargon kind of did okay But it came down to a number of things which are kind of specific about English and Welsh law. And one is about specific wording of a statute. They basically said that the judge in the initial case had erred because he used detriment Mm -hmm. as the kind of objective measure. Right. Like, had these women suffered a detriment, i.e. a disadvantage. Okay. But... While that does appear in part of the statute, it actually doesn't appear in the section that Elvino's was essentially being sued over. Okay. And in that section, it just said that the treatment couldn't be less favourable. Ah, Which is a okay. much lower bar yeah. <laughs> to climb over. We're not saying these women will die from not being served at the bar. Yeah. We're saying that these women are not being treated as favourably as men. No, because... Okay. Because, and there are a number of things that they give examples of, because one of the things I really like about reading court reports is how specific some judges can be thinking about possible situations. Mm. So they say that Elvino's policy would restrict a woman's choice of companions. True. Because 
she might not be able to go and join a group at the bar or maybe she comes in with a large group who have to separate because yeah. they have to sit at tables. Maybe and- we've got these annoying non-kilt-wearing men who are <laughs> insisting on staying for their drinks. Exactly. Clearly they're not sitting at any tables. Yeah. Uh, they have restricted access to the bar. Yeah. Obvious. Uh, they have less access to gossip, which is beneficial to them. So Absolutely. they're being treated less favorably. And ultimately, a woman is not being allowed to drink where she wants to drink in an establishment for drinking. Yeah. So they concluded that the policy was unlawful. Elvinos had to pay the legal costs, which were now between eight and nine thousand pounds, which in today's money is between twenty nine and thirty two thousand pounds. Wow. They also could no longer refuse women's service at the bar. Hooray! They were also refused permission to bring the case before the House of Lords, the highest court of appeal at the time. Yeah. So basically they were told, nope, this is it. Yep. This goes no further. You are not allowed to stop women being served at the bar. Amazing. On the night of the decision, there was apparently such a rush of women to the bar (laughs) at Elvino's in order to celebrate that one observer said, there are more women at the bar than men. It's chaos. Oh, God. (laughs) I know, right? Who can imagine? Yeah. Harpies. (laughs) The bar staff served the first woman there, who was a press association journalist called Heather Mills, but then refused to serve any other (gasps) women. They were basically ignored in favour of men at the bar. Oh, my God. Around an hour after opening, though, I think there was such a press of women that they were basically like, all right, we're going to have to serve them. Yeah. And they ended up serving the other women. Gill and Coot actually arrived at the bar, but they were refused service. Are they still banned? Well, yes, they were barred from the premises by the manager, who basically said that... They said that they would serve any woman who genuinely wanted to drink at the bar, but not those who were just making a feminist point. Oh, my God. Yeah. They're buying your product. Yeah. God's sake. This ban was lifted on the 16th of November. They were basically told, you can't ban them. Yeah. But the bar staff did still refuse to serve Gill and Coot drinks, basically wow. saying that it is a landlord's right to do so without reason under common law, which... To be fair, is true. Okay. However, Gill and Coote and their lawyers wrote warnings of potential further legal actions if they were not served. <laughs> wow, okay. So, Elvino's gave in. Good. So this case kind of became a bit of a flagship case where demonstrating how the Sex Discrimination Act could be used to put an end to different sorts of discrimination that's just in everyday life. Yeah. It's exactly what you talked about earlier. It's all those little things that kind of add up together to create a big thing yeah like so many small disadvantages for women that mean that you can't say get a mortgage yeah which is actually a really really big deal but might be seen as kind of just a little thing you just need to get someone to help you out to do it yeah but it establishes that precedent and that legal precedent was used to help prevent discrimination by other licensed premises towards women wonderful in 2017 Gill and Coote actually attended a celebration at Elvino's, nice. which at this point was now under new owners, <laughs> yeah. for the 35th anniversary of the case. Wow. And in doing so, they raised money for the Fawcett Society, which campaigns for gender equality. That's lovely. Yeah, there's quite a nice article in The Guardian about it. Is that, that as in time. Millicent Fawcett's? Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Not like a 
cap. No. (laughs) (laughs) So ultimately, it ended out quite well, even if it's not quite as sensational as some places on the internet make it out to be. It's not a case that, you know, women couldn't possibly drink in bars beforehand, but it was significant and it remains significant. It is still a, it can still be used as precedent in common law to this day. Mm. Thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4 and suggest episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. The very best way to support us right now is to give us a shout out on your social media app of choice and spread the word. And as always, thank you to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's used in this podcast. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and drink where you damn well want to. (laughs) So, pub? Yeah. Bye! Bye!